Well, I invite you to open the Bible to Second uh, Timothy 2 this morning. As you do that, I have a confession. <laughs> uh, Dan emailed me, and uh, it's really true for the speakers. They, they do pimp out uh, Prince Edward Island. And, uh, but the thing for me was when I heard Scotty was speaking and Ray was speaking, that sold it for me. It's like, I want to go to this conference. And so much so that when people come to my workshop here, I feel like saying, wait, you're here, do you realize Scotty and Ray are in the house? You know, they're right now, and then I realize there's only 20 people, so, that, you know, that, uh, in each room. But the reason I'm here is, is not because they're great personalities, uh, although they are, I've, I appreciate them greatly. The thing I, I'm here for is because I knew I need grace. And ministry is, is so consuming that we just got back from two weeks vacation, and uh, we went up, uh, camping is one of these rejuvenating things for us. We get outside, we tent. Uh, the rest of my family there, they don't really tent. They, they have microwaves and crock pots and heaters. and everything. We're in the tent and, and we went away uh, kind of exhausted. We've been through a tough season. And we went away hoping to be refreshed. And uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, the family dynamics and weather. And we came back feeling exhausted. <laughs> and I looked at my calendar and I knew next week is coming. And usually I don't look forward to these because I find conferences exhausting. I find, uh, especially when I'm speaking, there's going to be a, a physical toll. But I said, what I need to do is come and hook up the IV of grace into my veins and just soak in God's grace. And God's answered my prayer uh, so far. And I'm looking forward to today, but this is what we need. Why come today? As somebody, the reason I'm here is because I needed more than anybody here to hear the amazing message of God's grace and applying to me as a pastor. What I want to do today is, is to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 because uh, today's the last day we're about to go home. And our job, uh, and I'm going to speak primarily to pastors today, realizing not all of you are pastors. But as I thought about what to talk about today, I want to talk about how to take, a couple things really, how to take this amazing grace home with us. A few years ago, uh, I, I was in the ministry treadmill and uh, I, I was really in the middle of where a lot of us probably were at some point of uh, seeking to be faithful to God. And, but something happened and I became part of, I, I became aware of this uh, you know, the gospel is not the ABCs, but the A to Z and the whole gospel centrality and, and it revolutionized my life. I remember coming back to my church and saying to one of the guys, things seem different here. Like, what's changed? And he said, nothing's changed. You've changed. And it didn't end well, by the way. And, and that's where I want to talk about. We're, we, the, and honestly, this is what I want to talk about. Our job is to be first changed as ministers of the gospel and to soak in this grace. And my prayer is, as we look at this passage, as we continue to hear from the speakers, that we'll go home and we'll kind of say to our churches, something's weird here, something's changed. And they're going to look at us and say, no, you've changed. And it, because you've experienced in a radical new way God's grace on an ongoing, not on a theological basis, but on a heart basis, everything's changed. But I want to say to you as we look at this passage, it's not clear sailing from that point on. 
And uh, today I want to talk about the ups and downs of ministry and look at this passage in particular because Paul, I don't think anybody, we, could, we can't learn grace from anybody more than Paul. I mean, Paul got grace. And look at what he says here about what ministry is like, talking to Timothy, his son in grace. Second Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot there. Think about that. We're going to come back to that. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, and therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. You know, the, the task that we have is really the, what we've heard in this conference. Verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To realize the, the most powerful thing you can do, any one of us, is to take seriously this verse. It is really the first step to effective ministry. We need to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It's why I needed to come, because our church, our church plant in Liberty Village, needs a grace infusion. Uh, the people we're meeting on the streets, Liberty Village is a fairly affluent, professional, young community, very secular. They don't want God. They don't think they need God. And what they need is grace. What they need is for me to experience God's grace. And so we've been dwelling there. We've been talking about how we can receive grace. But our job in verse 2 is not just to receive grace, but to become a conduit of grace. Because what Paul says here is, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, you know, I, I've so appreciated the fresh ways that Scotty and, and Ray have articulated the gospel. What you've heard from them, as much as it aligns with Scripture, because that's the ultimate plumb line, the ultimate test, what you've heard from them, soak in that. And then go home and entrust it to a few faithful men who will be able to take that same radical message of grace and give it to 10 other people, 20 other people, and so on and so on. You know, in, in verse 2, you have this radical idea. Four generations of the gospel. You have Paul to Timothy, to faithful men, to others who will entrust it to other faithful men. One of the, the things, uh, Scotty, that revolutionized my life in this whole, uh, I never forget, I, over Christmas I ordered this book called The Heart of a Servant Pastor by Jack Miller. And I began reading it, and it was almost like I didn't even realize it, but my soul was parched. And I began reading this book of, of just 
somebody who got grace. And I began to learn that the impact that he had on people like Scotty, and then the impact that Scotty's had on others, Tim Keller, and probably you could name countless people who've been influenced. And see, the, the difference that God's grace got a hold of Scotty or, or, or in Jack's life, and that influenced Scotty and so many others. And we're here today as a third generation from Jack Miller being radically changed by this message of grace. And now we have the opportunity to take it to our homes, our churches, and entrust that message to others who will be able to give it to others as well. I don't know if any of you saw the a great video Admiral McRaven uh, gave a commencement address. And usually a lot of the commencement addresses are really ridiculous. I love this one because he got up and the first thing he said, he's an admiral, and he said, uh, okay, class, I'm going to give you some guidelines on how to change the world. Right, right about then, my, eyelid, my eyelids usually, you know, like, okay, another one of these. And he's like, first, you might want to start with making your bed in the morning. <laughs> I kind of like this guy, right? He's like, you want to change the world, start making your bed. But he goes on, he says, he's speaking to 8,000 people. And he says, do you realize every single one of you is going to meet 10,000 people in your life? Average is 10,000 people in your life. And here's what he said. He said, if each one of you commits to changing the life of just 10 people in your life, you're going to meet 10,000 people. Just find 10 people. If you change their lives, and then these 10 people that you've changed, they change the lives of another 10 people. And that continues for five generations. In 125 years, in just five generations, this class will have changed the lives of more than 800 million people. He says, take that another generation, you'll have reached the whole world of 8 billion people. Admiral McRaven, as far as I know, is not a believer. But what he says is applicable. I did the math. We're in a denomination, Pastor Steve and I, of 500 churches. If there's 16 people in every one of these churches took Paul's message here seriously, if just 16 people in every fellowship church just said, over the course of my life, I'm going to entrust the gospel to 10 faithful men and women. Just 16 people in every church, 10 faithful men and women over the course of my whole life. And then these 10 faithful men and women, likewise, entrust the gospel, do what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Do you realize our whole fellowship of just 500 churches, just 16 people, if we took this seriously, we would reach the same number of people in just 125 years, 800 million people, just one more generation in the whole world. You see, this is, this is what we're called to do. And my challenge to you is, would you commit to doing verse 1 and 2, to, to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus? And then go home and, and look for who are the faithful people who are ready to be revolutionized by the gospel? How can I entrust this radical message to them? You know, I'm here to talk about the ups and downs of ministry. And what I'm here to tell you is, a lot of conferences you go to, you're, you're all pumped up and excited. And I don't know how many conferences I've gone to where I'm like, yes, and you go home and the first week, it's a crash landing. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not pretty. You, you don't land and, and things are smooth, but it's, you bump into reality. I, a pastor friend of mine went to uh, I think it was Together for the Gospel. And uh, the speakers, one after another, were expounding God's word in powerful ways. 
And it was theological, it was rich, it was, it was beautiful. But during the breaks, he'd start talking around him and what he learned as he talked to the people around him was it's almost like intensive care. And as he talked to pastors, it wasn't like a little, needed a little band-aid. He, he talked to pastors and they were honestly like losing blood. They were hurting. And he wanted, at some point, although the messages were rich and theological and deep, he wanted to go up to the speakers. He said, do you realize that pastors are bleeding here? That there's so much hurt in this room. That so many of us have been destroyed by ministry, beat up by so many people. That's why we, we need to look at this. I, I just came across a book, and I, no posing and no pretending, right? Scotty, is that right? Uh, there's a book called Fail, written by uh, J.R. Briggs. Uh, there's a fail conference. And, I mean, it tells you something that I bought the book. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think every pastor, if we're honest, can relate to what, what this book talks about. The reason I picked up this book is, is because ministry is tough. And there's many times, well, I'll just tell you, it, we've all heard these stats. These, are, these ones are new for me. 80% of pastors are discouraged in their role as pastors. 80% of pastors What's even scarier than that is 84% of their spouses are discouraged about ministry. I had a pastor's wife say to me just before the session, she's like, I want to be in here. <laughs> I want to hear about the ups and downs of ministry and how grace applies to it. I'm hurting. It's been a rough year. I need to be here. 84% of our wives are discouraged about ministry and their role. One out of every 20 pastors who goes into ministry ends in ministry. Only you know, the, the whole thing of some schools, it's like, look to your left, look to your right. You know, only one of the three is going to make it. It's like, you could almost number off the 20 and say, okay, one of the 20 is going to make it to the end. 70% of pastors say they don't have a single close friend. 62% of pastors reported having little spiritual life. And on and on, the, the chapter's full of these stats. You know, as I thought about the and we're going to look at this, this idea of suffering from this passage. I know that there's a whole area of ministry, uh, almost like we complain about how hard it is. And it's not my intention to do that. I, I, today, I really don't want to, but I want to acknowledge what Paul says here, that ministry involves suffering. And there's three types of suffering that a lot of us go through. One is we've been hurt by the church. We've been hurt by the church. I mentioned the ministry didn't go well, that uh, I was revolutionized by grace. And Mike Bowmore, who spoke here last year, talked about how the gospel centrality, how the gospel is the, the flywheel of the church, and you, you get that gospel going and it revolutionizes the church. And, but I remember him saying, you know, sometimes the pastors get this gospel flywheel going. But he says, if the church has been stuck in a non-gospel rut for a long time, there's no guarantee that even the gospel will be received well in that church. What happened was, I mean, it, it, in many ways a, a good church, but the gospel flywheel was not attractive to that church. And I relate to the words of Ajith Fernando, who was in Sri Lanka. 
I love Vajith Fernando. He wrote a great article a few years ago on suffering and ministry. And he says, you know, I'm in Sri Lanka. It's a country racked by war and hostile to evangelism. Indeed, we've suffered. One of our staff workers was just brutally assaulted and killed. But then he says this. He says, he's with Youth for Christ. He says, talking about suffering and ministry, he says, but I think the biggest pain I've experienced is the pain that I have received from Youth for Christ, the organization for which I've worked for 34 years. Think about that. Staff workers being assaulted and killed, uh, war, conflict, possibility of jail. He says, the most pain I've received has actually been from Youth for Christ. He says, I can also say that next to Jesus and my family, Youth for Christ has also been the greatest source of joy in my life. Whether you live in the East or West, you will suffer pain if you're committed to people. This is a suffering that can be avoided. We can avoid pain by stopping the relationship or moving on to something more fulfilling. But what do we lose? How many, don't raise your hand. How many of us have been deeply wounded by God's people in the church? How many? Can we raise our hand? We raise our hand? <laughs> yes. How many of us have been deeply wounded? Deeply, deeply wounded. How many of us have known betrayal and resentment and gossip? And There's a pain from the nature of ministry itself. I love this. Uh, you have the pain of, or the suffering of, of God's people being hurt by the church. And then you have the, the nature of ministry itself. And I love what Paul says. I always get a chuckle from Paul, the apostle, when he, he talks about his sufferings. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger of the wilderness, Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship. Many sleep at night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And this is what gets me. It makes me laugh. And apart from these things, there is on me the daily pressure of my anxiety for the churches. Friends, if we have a list of our sufferings, shipwrecked and beaten, and, and then to top it off, i got to deal with the church. You know, the nature of ministry itself. Paul's almost saying like, okay, I was only you know, these things only, some of them only happened five times or three times or two times. I was only stoned once. But every day, I've got this daily anxiety for the church. Every single day. I mean, Paul didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I wonder if today I'm going to get stoned. I don't think that really occurred to him. But he woke up every day going, how's the church in Ephesus doing? How's the church in Colossae doing? And those of us, we know this sense of ministry and the weight of ministry as Spurgeon said who can feel the weight of souls and not time sink into the ground we know this we understand this and then the third type of suffering is is one that I've hardly even encountered which is external opposition I have received a small amount of this but see most of the pain that that I've received has been either the nature of ministry itself or from God's people and in 2 Timothy 2 Paul says this He's just told us to be soaked in grace. But then I love what he says. And this is the reason many of us, we get stalled. In verse 3, Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Friends, if, if we're to take this message of grace home, what Paul is saying here is we're enlisting as soldiers and we're enlisting in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And there's three images that he gives us. 
of what this looks like. And it really unpacks the ups and downs of ministry really well for my life. But three images he gives us. Uh, one is the soldier. One is the athlete. One is the farmer. The three images are, back in that day, you would have been connected uh, to one of these professions. The soldier, what's needed from a soldier? Well, two things, endurance and focus. Paul says here, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I watched Downton Abbey. We got hooked a while ago. Uh, you can pray for us. Uh, God's grace is enough. And, you know, in, in one of the, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, Lord, um, Lord Grantham is uh, one of the first seasons, one of the, one of the big plot lines. This is going to show you what a type of show. One of the big plot lines is his cufflink goes missing. And which servant took the cufflink? Like, this is a big deal, and there's a lot of intrigue about a missing cufflink. Well, the next season starts. World War I is, is now going and many of the staff and even some of the Lord Grantham's family are, are now on the front lines in foxholes and bombs are going off. And I guarantee you in the foxhole, nobody was wondering where missing, a missing cufflink went. You see, when you're at war, the things that, that happen at peacetime, they don't matter in wartime. And Paul says here, do you understand you're at war? Do you understand that you're at war? And the things that matter in civilian pursuits when you're not a soldier, they don't matter in war. I often think, man, I don't want my, on the, my gravestone for it to say, here lies Daryl. He made all his mortgage payments. He answered all his emails. You know, he took every vacation. You see, we're at war. Spurgeon said this. He said, when you sleep, remember that you are resting in the battlefield. And when you travel, suspect an ambush at every hedge. Spurgeon said, when you wake up and bombs are going off around you, you shouldn't be surprised. You're at war. You know, you're waking up in a battlefield. Of course the bombs are going to be going off. If you were in my workshop uh, yesterday, one of them, we related the story of our church planning director in Ontario said, uh, Daryl, in, in one year of church planning, you're going to go through more spiritual warfare than in 10 years of pastoring an established church. I listened. I, I think I even wrote it down like, well, thank you. <laughs> As I shared, man, like 10 days after we began the process of church planning, the wheels came off in our family. And our family, I would have said, was stable. You know, it was like I could even barely get up in the morning after a while. And we went through an intense period. Dave Barker knows. Dave walked through with us through this. Dave was one of the safe people, actually, that I could talk to. We're at war. I remember reading this Spurgeon quote and saying, you know, when we're waking up and the bombs are going off in my family and my kids are paying the price, we haven't even started a church yet. We're just beginning to go on, but the shells are falling and, and you're, you're in shell shock. Don't be surprised. You're at war. Being a soldier during wartime is no picnic. The elements of war are unforgiving, unpredictable, and uncomfortable. Much is demanded, little is given in return. To exist and succeed in this type of environment, the soldier must be able to consistently endure hardship without complaint and always remain focused on his task. Once the battle begins, the soldier is in the job until the job is done. He can't take a break because he's hungry or tired. There's no time off, no sick days. You're at war. And I'm not saying pastors shouldn't take sabbaticals or rests. We ought to. But we need to understand the nature of ministry. And recently, this is where it comes down to. Recently, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself in ministry. And 
uh, think about how hard it is. And occasionally, you know, I know I'm, we're, I'm not alone here. Do you ever have these dreams of what it would be like to quit and get a real job? My brother's a firefighter. I asked my brother fire, uh, camping a year ago, like, what stresses do you have in your job? He's running into burning buildings and uh, he's, you know, going, responding to, and he thought, he sat there and he thought, and he's like, to be honest, I don't really think there is any stress on my job. And I was sitting there looking at him with my jaw open, like, did you, no, like, what's stress? And no, honestly, I can't think of any. Like, it's great. I love every bit of it. You know, and, and then I get off, my shift is over, and I go home, I forget about the fire department, and uh, I'm just done, and then I got like four days off before my next shift. And I was thinking recently, like, what would it be like to quit the ministry and get a job? Like, I can't be a firefighter, but too late, but what could I do that, no stress? And then I began to think, you know what, I think actually if I quit being a church planter, the Great Commission would still apply to me anyways. I would still be responsible to live every day as an act of worship before God. I would still be called to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I began to realize, like, there's no escaping. This is, this is what ev- the calling to every believer in Jesus Christ is. It's a call to engage with no quitting, no retreat. It goes on, it says, you know, share in suffering. In other words, endurance and focus. And then it says next, an athlete, be like an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Being an athlete takes discipline and obedience. In preparation, I was looking at some uh, sports. A lot of athletes show a lot of promise. I love watching some of the, the movies about athletes. And uh, I came across an article, though, about uh, something. I think the title was The World's most wasted talent in sports. (laughs) And here's the thing, a lot of athletes, you could talk about this probably, a lot of athletes have great skill and they're recruited, they're drafted, but nothing ever becomes of their career. You see that the question isn't, talent is, is not hard to find, but it's not enough. Ultimately, discipline and obedience is required. Ultimately, for an athlete, it's about saying no to the burger and yes to the grilled salmon. It's about no to a late night out, yes to the early morning exercise session or film session. For the rest of that athlete's life, they're committed to doing whatever is necessary to be ready for the field. For the rest of us, the choices aren't so cut and dried, but the discipline is still about consistently making small right decisions that end up to an effective ministry. Things like soaking in the grace of God. Things like finding a gospel posse. Things like opening up the dark areas of our lives, the lives we want to hide. Things like just getting real with God. And the discipline and and obedience of the athlete is absolutely required. I appreciated yesterday Scotty's honesty about, you know, I met this guy, Stu Batstone, a year ago, and he looked into my eyes and he says, you know, there's, there's nothing you could tell me that would shock me. Because there's no chance that you could be a worse sinner than I am. And when Stu said it, I believed him because it wasn't said as a platitude. He was actually saying, look, I know my heart. Can we just commit? The whole idea of obedience, there are areas, aren't there, in all of our lives that we've kept hidden that we're not obedient. And part of the reason we're not obedient is because we're too scared to even open them up Sin thrives in the dark. It's like mushrooms. It grows really well in the dark. 
One of the best things we can do is we're, you know, open up those areas of our lives. And in appropriate ways, I, I believe you're going to talk about how to do this later, finding a gospel posse and, and finding the safety. But if we're struggling, in, we need the obedience of an athlete. And not, we need a grace-driven obedience. And then the last, I really relate to this, the farmer. And what is a farmer? It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. What is a farmer? Well, hard, it involves hard work and patience. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, he says, the farmer's life involves early and long hours because you can't afford to lose time, constant toil, plowing, sowing, tending, weeding, reaping, storing, regular disappointments, frosts, pests, and disease, much patience, everything happens at slow motion and boredom. Well, that's a pretty good description of pastoral ministry except for the boredom part. Is it there too? Okay. I haven't been bored lately, man. I'm, maybe church planning's not boring. Early and long hours, constant toil, regular disappointments, much patience, boredom. Man, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And I love the whole idea when Kent Hughes talks about the regular disappointments. There's no guarantees. There's no guarantee. We could get the gospel right. We could be the most gifted people we were t- I was talking to a pastor yesterday, and they attended a church. They've been laboring uh, in a, a tough city for a while, and they go to this church, and uh, they've been working hard, and it's been, this other church starts, it's like, they just start, and like, it's full of people. You know, it's up to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it's very simple, it's, uh, it's up to us to preach, and, and proclaim, and to pray, and it's not our providence what God does with that, that's up to him. We can just relax in the gospel and be faithful in discharging our duties. The results are completely up to God, not our business. You see, a farmer can work all year and the crop can still be destroyed. The ministry of the gospel requires strained struggle and diligence. Jack Miller, I've alluded to him, he said, the gospel becomes powerful in our lives and in the lives of others when we love them enough to suffer for them. Life for others comes out of my dying. And the grace that we've received and soaked in does not preclude that we're not going to be called to suffer. I love what Paul says here because Paul almost does a selah at the end of this. Verse 7, he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. You know, as I've, I've meditated on this passage lately, I've, I've said, you know what Paul's saying here is, you know, sit here for a while. Think about what I'm talking about, the suffering in, inherent in ministry. Uh, actually, don't just move on to the next thing, but if you're discouraged, just look, meditate on these images, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. And, and Paul says, and I'm pretty sure the Lord will give you understanding as you, you think about these images in ministry. Brothers, I am so grateful for your ministries. I am grateful for your commitment to the gospel. As I hear people like Pastor Steve and others talk about the, the, what they've been through and, and how God has honored that ministry, as I hear about, as I've heard about some of the heartbreaks, please know you're in good company. And please know you've enlisted. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's it's. it's Paul says it's because you've enlisted as a soldier in Jesus Christ. 
It's part of the package. But as, as we close here, I want to look at, again, at I think what's going to sustain us as we, we do this. I want to go back to verse 1 again. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What's going to give me the power to go back into downtown Toronto where nobody wants a church? Where we got a, a small group of people. Uh, people keep asking me, how's the church plant going? And, and I always say, I have no idea. I really don't know. And again, sometimes I like, if I feel really wise, I like to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer who says, who knows any time, right? Like sometimes the times when it God seems like God's tearing apart the church are the times where God's building it. And sometimes the times when God seems to be uh, uh, destroying the church is when he's building it. Like who knows? It's who knows, right? And I knew it would be hard, but what's going to give me the grace to go back this Saturday night? We meet Saturday nights in a dance studio. What's gonna, we're going to have a handful of people who are committed to being on mission in Liberty Village. Some of the people that we've hoped for and we've, we've even seen some fruit in, you know, it's unpredictable. What's going to give you the grace to go back to a Warren Deacon's board, to a Warren Elder's board? What's going to give you the grace to go back to just the toil of ministry? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And Paul here, he's like, okay, I don't think I got my point across enough. So verse 8, he comes back to this again. He just told us suffering is, is inherent in ministry. It's, it's part of the ministry. And I love how he ends in, in verse 8, this, this passage of Scripture. He says, okay, I've just told you what it's going to take. I've told you, you about God's amazing grace. I've told you about what it, the cost it's going to take in your life. And then Paul says, okay, what's it going to take, Timothy? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Paul's saying, man, I talk about suffering. You want to hear about suffering? I'm in jail. I'm not getting out of jail. I'm in my last days here. Remember Jesus Christ. And then he says, the word of God, the message of the gospel, it's not bound. I'm in jail. Man, the message of the gospel is not in jail. They can put me in jail. They can't lock up the gospel. It's got power. And therefore, he says, when I think about this gospel, when I'm strengthened in the gospel, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Man, when we dwell on Jesus Christ, you know, if, if I, I, I could, I've talked to Dave about this. Man, I've pretty much made every mistake in ministry possible. <laughs> I've read all the books. Uh, I've, I think the art of ministry David Hansen talks about in, he goes into his predecessor's office and he's looking at all the books and he's like, okay, this guy was around in the 70s because there's all the, the books about this type of ministry and then he was around in the 80s because there's all the 80s books about church growth and then he was around in the seeker movement, there's all the 90s books and I've been, I've, have, you been, have you been through all those waves? Are you tired of riding the waves of the latest fads of ministry? Man, it, it is, we can learn from that, but Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. If you want an effective ministry, it's almost like you can, the books are helpful, but if you want something really helpful, Paul's saying, remember Jesus. Dwell on what he did for us. Really become about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And then he says, this saying is trustworthy. And I love how he ends here because if he ratchets up the pressure and then he applies again God's grace at the end, he says, if we've died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And sometimes I'm not so sure I'm going to endure. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But he ends with, if we are faithless, and I love this, he ends with this, if we are faithless, and there's a good chance I am going to be faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. My hope is not in myself. My hope is that he who is faithful, even if I am faithless, will remain faithful. Church planting and ministry is, is for the faint of heart. And all our church planting assessments, they try to weed out the weak when God uses the weak. And here, all our pastoral ministries, if, if you are feeling weak, ministry is for you because the only way we can accomplish it is not on our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ. And Gloria Furman, she said this applying to mothers, but I think it applies equally to, to us as pastors, any of us in ministry. She says this passage teaches us that the, the ministry of the gospel is for the weak. Because the only way we can accomplish it is in the strength of Jesus Christ. Do you feel burdened, exhausted, and weak? Don't resent your weariness. Take heart because of Christ. In your weakness, you have an opportunity to exalt Christ in everything because he is exalted over all things. My prayer for you today, would you be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ? My prayer for you is, would you commit to going home with the gospel? and entrusting it to others who will entrust it to others also. My prayer is, would you go home not being surprised that you're going to suffer for the gospel, but that you would look to Jesus, and that would keep you going, even in the ups and downs of ministry. Father, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for Pastor Steve for making this possible. Thank you for Scotty. Thank you for Ray, and thank you for the way that you've refreshed me in the gospel this week. Father, most of all, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he knows everything about us. He knows us in our weakness. He knows our fatigue and our exhaustion. He knows our hurts and our wounds from ministry. And today he invites us to come. Some of us are tired. Some of us are, are perhaps feeling the weight of ministry right now. Father, would we, would be we strengthened by the grace that's in Jesus Christ? And Father, I pray for my dear brothers here. I pray in the coming days, as they go back to soldier and suffer for the sake of the gospel, Father, would you be everything that they need? I pray that they would find a gospel posse who would be willing to stand with them, to love them through the pain of ministry, to be committed to them. Father, I pray for our wives. According to that stat, more of them are discouraged than we are. Father, would you give them your strength and your grace? I pray in this conference that they would find someone who understands, somebody who would apply the gospel in, in a loving way, not in a formulaic way to their lives. So Father, we pray all of this not because we're strong. We pray all of this because Jesus is strong, because he is everything we need, and we look forward to meeting him one day, saying we've fought the good fight. And Father, to hear the words that we long to hear that are true because of the gospel, well done, my good and faithful servant. To hear those words, because when God looks at us, when the Father looks at us, he sees the Son, to hear those words, you are my beloved Son, and you I'm well pleased. Father, we long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.